it actually makes it harder to kind of sift through the individuals because you will have a lot of people that apply for your positions. But I think finding the individuals, um, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but of quality that actually have a good head on their shoulders and are truth and truthful and honest and really want to care for these people, I feel like you will it's very difficult to find those people and you will not get it right on the first time. And so mm -hmm. I think people need to understand that just because you hire your team in the beginning, that's not going to be the same team you have probably in a year or two from now. It's just kind of the, the nature of the game. Welcome back to Assist Living Investing with me, your host, Brett Schottkavis. And I'm here today with my wife and business partner, Laura Schottkavis, and we are talking about hiring a caregiver. So Laura runs the day-to-day -day operations at our assisted living, Platinum Resort Assisted Living and Memory Care in Georgetown, Texas. If you haven't, you can check us out online. But I wanted to bring her on today to talk through some of the details about hiring a caregiver because it can kind of seem scary. Do these people need to be qualified? Do they need to have certain certifications? How much do you have to pay them? What really is their job? Do they need to be nurses or not? And Laura runs all of these things, interviews, hires, fires, trains our staff, and I want to bring her on as the expert to unpack all of these things for us today. So, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you for being on here with me. Oh, I'm excited. Let's do this. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> so, I want to clear up some of the misconceptions that are around caregivers. So, let's first start by who is the caregiver that you're hiring? Like, what experience do they need? What certifications or qualifications? And then, can you just unpack who are you looking for, like an ideal... Um, caregiver avatar, who are you trying to find? So I first want to start off by saying when we got into this, we had no experience in any type of medical field, right? We have real estate experience and that's what we had. So when we first came into this, I was under the assumption that we were hiring medical staff and that all of them had to be medical. All of them had to know all the medical jargon that, you know, gets tossed around. And so uh, I was nervous about that because I didn't know that. But what I came to realize was that that was not the case. Based on the state that you're in, your caregivers will have to have certain qualifications. But in the state that we are in, which is Texas, they just need to be 18. So that was something that was kind of a eye opener for me. Like, oh, wow, they don't need to have like some sort of RN status or anything like that. Um, they can go through the, the caregiving training, which is fantastic uh, to, to have, but they don't necessarily need that. So that was something that was a surprise to me and maybe a surprise to you listening to this now. Like, oh, wow, I don't have to have someone who has a medical background. What we specifically are looking for is someone with heart, right? Someone who is honest um, and has integrity, someone who cares and loves for other people. A lot of times you'll find these characteristics in moms. I think that uh, being a caregiver is, I don't want to say a glorified mom because a mom is already glorified in itself, but it's, it's, pretty much a mom role that you're taking on and so you are are overseeing the ADLs and this is kind of a, a jargon that gets tossed around in the assisted living field ADLs are activities of daily living so you are are helping people do things that you do on a daily that you don't necessarily think about so you don't necessarily think about like getting out of bed and walking over to the bathroom and you know brushing your teeth a lot of that, those things are mindless things so if you think about your daily routines when you get up it's mindless for you but it's it's not mindless for them because they need help doing all these things so getting up out of bed uh, getting dressed brushing their teeth brushing their hair making their bed opening their blinds all, all the things that that you do on your own normally they now need help with and so they are are 
are doing these things for them. And so they don't necessarily need that medical background. So all these things, these ADLs, these are non-medical things. Correct. This is just the normal day-to-day stuff that I do for myself, toileting, eating, changing, all those kind of things. They're just essentially, are they usually ladies or are, are they a mixture of men and women who, you, you mentioned this avatar about being like a glorified mom. Mm-hmm. So you didn't say dad, right? Is it usually women that you find or how is that broken up? So it's usually women, but we actually on our staff of uh, 10 caregivers now, we have two of them are males. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a female. I think that there are a lot of males in the field who are just as loving and just as caring as any of the females as well. So I wouldn't necessarily, you know, once you see a male come in for an interview, be like, no, kibosh that. No, I don't want them in my house. They actually are fantastic. The two males that we have now are just amazing caregivers that love and care for our grandparents in the house. Okay. So no real requirements, right? That is different for the managers. The managers do have to have some certifications and go through some specific state training. But for here, at least in Texas, the caregivers do not. They just have to be 18 years old and alive. Is that the gist of it? In a heartbeat, yes. Okay. That is the gist of it. All right. So then your your pool of people right, you can hire is really vast, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't have to have vast amounts of experience. You don't have to have vast amounts of training. You just need to find someone with heart. And that's mm-hmm. that's the gist of it. I think because of that wide pool or wide fish tank of individuals that you will you will come across, it actually makes it harder to kind of sift through the individuals because you will have a lot of people that apply for your positions. But I think finding the individuals, um, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but of quality that actually have a good head on their shoulders and are truth and truthful and honest and really want to care for these people, I feel like you will it's very difficult to find those people and you will not get it right on the first time. And so mm-hmm. I think people need to understand that just because you hire your team in the beginning, that's not going to be the same team you have probably in a year or two from now. It's just kind of the the nature of the game. So you talked about how it's kind of hard to find these people. And so we created our avatar, right? Just like when you make sales, you have a customer avatar. We have a caregiver avatar. So can you kind of elaborate who is the person that we're looking for? So it's it can kind of fluctuate between ages, right? I feel like it can be a male or female, and it's usually someone between the ages of 18 and 30 is usually the age. But we've also had caregivers who are older as well and maybe retired and who um, uh, or we have people who are war past nurses or war past LVNs or caregivers. And so I wouldn't say that it's our avatar is kind of in this one little encapsulated form of just 18 to 20 or 30 it's someone who is um has a heart to serve is really what it comes down to i know you're going to hear us say that a lot and some people probably are going to question well how do you know if they have that heart we'll talk about that in the interview later (laughs) um but yeah so it's someone who is between the age 18 and 30 who loves and has compassion to help others so why is there a gap there why does it stop at 30 and pick up again because usually they, this is their starter job. I think it's it's one of those jobs that are after you graduate from high school, it's a very easy to enter this job. It's an entry level position, and so which is why you have the wider pool of individuals. Mm-hmm. And so uh, usually people will graduate and not know what to do with their lives, and be like, oh well, I'll just try this and see if it's something that I like doing. And so they'll work there for you know between two to five years, and then they'll maybe move on from there. They'll maybe want to say, I want to be an RN, so I want to go to, to school for that. And so a lot of our individuals, they kind of get their feet wet or their palate wet and be like, oh, I really like I like this, and I want to pursue this 
uh, further. And so usually they'll start with us and then they'll start doing their nursing school and then go through nursing school, even working with us and then have a point where, you know, they have to quit and then go, you know, uh, on to bigger and grander things in nursing school. Okay. So that makes sense to me. Then the older people in life, what, 50s, 60s, this is as their career is winding down and they want more of a less stressful job or more of a part-time job or how is it, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think it's a lot of, or it could be moms who are stay-at-home moms and they just want to get out and contribute to the family, contribute to the family and also be around other adults, I think is kind of a, a good way to put it. So there are younger moms who are our caregivers and who are fantastic. But then there's also, like you said, individuals who have retired from their professional life and don't just want to sit around at home. They want to contribute and they want to help. And so usually that's when you see the older ones who are working. So can you unpack what's the day-to-day routine for a caregiver? What's their job duties? So uh, kind of mentioned this before with the ADLs, but it's helping with activities of daily living. So I can kind of go through a whole day's worth, like what our schedule looks like, if you think that would help people. Sure. Let's okay. So I'll start with 6 a.m. The 6 a.m. staff comes on and they do rounds with the 10 to 6. And if you're not familiar with the term rounds, rounds is when you go and you check on every single one of the grandparents in your house and make sure that they're they're clean and they're dry and they're they're taken care of, right? That everything is good for that individual. So making sure everyone is clean and dry before the 10 to 6 shift leaves. So you do the rounds that will usually take around 15 minutes. So on each shift we have two caregivers on so one caregiver is doing the rounds while the other caregiver is counting medications so uh, the narcs have to be counted uh, every shift to make sure that they are correctly counted and then nothing's missing so uh, there's two people counting meds and two people doing rounds which takes about 15 minutes so after the rounds is done our our morning caregivers are pretty much getting ready for the day right making sure the coffee is done making sure all the breakfast is ready and then they are slowly getting people up. So we have a schedule, a shower schedule for each individual. And so they are getting people up, bringing them to the dining room table, making sure they have, you know, coffee and drink and their food. And then uh, the med tech is then giving the medications at the table at that time. So it's kind of a slow process of getting people up showering those two to three individuals who need showers that morning and then also giving medications. And that's where the team play comes in between those two caregivers, making sure they're communicating well with each other. Uh, if they need help with anything specifically, uh, they can walkie-talk each other. Hey, I have, you know, number 15. I need to help transfer. Can you, you know, meet me in shower room two? And so they're making sure that it's a team play, right? So usually that whole process of getting all 16 individuals up is I'd say about two and a half hours, so two and a half to three hours. So they try to be done by 9.30 and 10 o'clock. At that time, they're now on a a schedule where they have activities. So they usually run an activity for about an hour from 10.30 to 11.30. And we have a activity calendar that that our managers oversee. And then we have a whole closet full of activities. So they're they're doing pool noodle volleyball. They're doing um, certain mind games. They're coloring. Uh, I mean, they're doing karaoke. They're doing all sorts they're of fun, fun activities. Yeah, they're having fun. And so, uh, you know, this helps with their cognitive ability, helps with their physical uh, function. And um, a lot of times we have our caregivers run this, but then we also have some outside sources who come and run these activities too. So at 12 o'clock, we have everyone to the table eating lunch. 
And, um, you know, our chef is kind of overseeing all that. So he preps all that. And that's a whole other side topic on its own <laughs> um, about the chef. Uh, but yeah, so lunch is about 12 to 12.45. And then at that time, each caregiver slowly takes one person to their room for kind of just quiet time. They could take a nap. They could watch TV or whatever they want, right? Um, and so from 1 to, I'd say, 3.30, they are, are napping. So in between that time at 2 o'clock, we have our second shift coming in. So our 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. shift is coming in. And it's kind of the same routine of doing the rounds with, you know, one, one caregiver on one caregiver is doing rounds and the other caregivers are uh, counting meds. So it's the same routine as the so you count meds every single shift change every you, single day. You count meds every single shift change every single day. That sounds annoying. It's a lot. Yeah. Okay. But you have to with your narcotics. It's okay. just the narcs. It's not the okay, regular not medications. every single pill. Not every single medication. It's just the narcotics. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Narcotics are double locked in your medication cabinet. Okay. Uh, so... They do that at two, and then usually from two to three, the two two to three shift is cleaning bedrooms. So we have a whole schedule uh, on cleaning bedrooms. So they are cleaning, you know, the certain bedrooms for that day, and then around three to three thirty, they're getting people up one at a time, bringing them out in the living room, and then you're doing another activity. So it's the same thing. There's an activity calendar. There's an activity closet. Just running the activity for so the day. Two activities per day. Two activities per day. Yeah, okay. that's a minimum. Sometimes we do more if we have volunteers coming in and running the activities. So then around 4.45 or 5 is when dinner is ready. Bring everyone to the table, uh, you know, help with feeding, uh, help with people drinking or whatever they need. And then at, I'd say, 5.45 is when dinner's over. And a lot of times people just want to go to bed. So we have certain people who we, we put to bed. Uh, so that's just an, a normal thing that we go through every night, right, that we do mindlessly, but it's something that they need, they need help with. So getting dressed in your pajamas, brushing your teeth, uh, taking out your, you know, your dentures or taking off your eyeglasses, um, you know, making sure that they're in bed, they're comfortable, they're warm, they're they're ready to sleep for the night. Uh, and then some people don't go to bed at that time. They stay up and want to watch TV in the living room. And that's fine. It's it's our house, right? So a lot of times we'll have one-on-one time with individuals. So it's having conversations, it's chit-chatting. Um, and then around 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. is when the next shift comes in. Same thing, do rounds, count the narcotics. And then our night shift does a lot of the cleaning and just does two-hour uh, bed checks um, around the clock. Okay. So a couple of questions that I want to hit because you mentioned a med tech. Now, what's the difference between a med tech and a caregiver? So a med tech in our home in Texas is someone who has been medication delegated by an RN. So we have an RN actually through our hospice company that comes in every month. And she med delegates everyone who has not been med delegated. And it's usually an hour class that they go through talking about uh, the different medications, the side effects, why they take those medications. Uh, also talking about um, different forms of taking medication. So through eye drops, nose sprays, ear, you know, eardrops um, uh, or oral pills. So it's, it's pretty much just a brief oversight of the medications that you will be administering to the grandparents in the home. And so that has to be completed. It has to be signed by an RN before they actually can pass medications. So does this RN, do you have to have them on your staff? And how do you pay them? Is it expensive? So we, it's it's not. I think it was, a little, it wasn't really expensive in the beginning because we actually had to pay an RN to come in. But now we have um, an individual through our hospice company that comes in and she's just really sweet. She loves our house and she actually does it for us because out of the kindness of her own heart. 
So I nice. think you'll build relationships with people over time. Uh, it may cost a little bit upfront because you don't have the reputation yet. But once you have a bunch of RNs and hospice companies coming in your home and seeing how fantastic you are, they're they're going to want to be in there and they're going to want to help you. And so, yeah, we have an individual coming for free. That's fantastic. I didn't yeah. even know that. Oh, <laughs> there you go. All right. I thought we were still paying. <laughs> well, we do every now and again if that individual isn't free. Okay. So what do we pay? $150? $150 for an hour okay. yeah, for them to come in. Awesome. Mm -hmm. That's not a big deal. It's once a month we usually for us. Once a month. $150 bucks $150 to have bucks. somebody delegated and they can do all the meds. Correct. We don't have to have a nurse on staff, on payroll, anything like that. No, that was another misconception I think that we had when we came into this was that, oh my gosh, we're going to have to pay an RN. Like, not only do we have to pay our managers, we have to pay an RN, we have to pay our caregivers, we have to pay our chef. It was like, oh my gosh, there's going to be so much money in payroll. But no, you don't necessarily have to have someone RN, you know, as an RN on staff. I think it's a plus, and a lot of assisted livings do have that. A lot of the big boxes, I know they have to have that. But us as being a type B licensure in Texas, you do not have to have that on staff. Fantastic. So you mentioned having two caregivers and how you have this little powwow and you, they meet and go through, um, you know, shift change. Do you think two caregivers are the way to go? Is there times when you need more or less? So with us, we so we're a sixteen bed licensed home, and with the state of Texas, you have to have um, so you have three people move in initially after you pass your life safety inspection. So we after we pass the life safety. Uh, which goes over the sprinkler system and evacuations and such. You can have three people move in. And so we had three people move in and we, gosh, we had one caregiver on for each shift for just those three individuals. But we knew that once we got our second uh, health uh, inspection, we knew that we had a lot of people waiting on our wait list that were going to just come in in waves, right? It was going to be a big wave of people moving in. So we actually hired a second caregiver uh prior to, I think, our fourth move-in because we wanted to be sure they were trained, they were ready to handle all of these grandmas and grandpas. So in our experience, we think that around, I'd say, five to seven is good for one caregiver, but I think you need two if it goes above that number. So we currently have two caregivers on all shifts around the clock. Okay, so I know we do this. Even at night, we have two caregivers and they're awake. Correct. Now, I know some places, as they're trying to make these numbers work, they won't do two caregivers a night. So can you talk about why we chose? Because it's not a requirement. We can have one caregiver a night. Uh, why do we choose to do it that way? COVID was an interesting wrench that got thrown in our whole plan because we opened November of 2020. So um, because of that, I actually ran a lot of shifts. I was a caregiver for a lot of the shifts. And so I had firsthand experience running the shifts on every time the morning the evening and the night and so i think it was it really sucked at the time but i think now looking back on it i'm really glad that i experienced that because i was able to see from their perspective what they were dealing with so uh there actually was one night that i was working with another individual and man it was just a night you'll have some of these shifts that are just like everything that could go wrong happens and, you know, three people got sick. There was vomiting. There was diarrhea. There was all sorts of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you had one individual who was a two-person transfer um, that what, got sick. What does that mean, two-person transfer? So two-person transfer is you literally meet, need to have two people to transfer this individual. Because they're, they're, they're heavy or they're just awkward and stiff or whatever it may be. Okay. And so if, if I was by myself or if someone was by themselves on that shift, they would not have been able to handle it. And so... We at Platinum Resort, we want to give the best quality care. And I think having the best quality care is having two individuals there 
in case something happens. Uh, if someone falls and 911 needs to be called um, if they're not on hospice, um, what's going to happen with all the other individuals if that person has to sit with that individual in the room until, you know, uh, EMS comes? So there's just a lot of different circumstances and scenarios that could and will happen that you need to have two people on. Yeah. So it's that that 10% of the time Correct. when things go wrong, mm -hmm. you need a second person during yeah. that time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, when you make jobs for for these caregivers stressful and hard, they're going to quit. Yeah, they exactly. Just, especially through that whole great resignation. It was just no call, no show, right? Yeah. Like you had to make work easy for them. And if you had these circumstances where it got stressful because someone fell and then they got 12 other people saying, I need help, I have to go to the bathroom. Exactly. They're like, I'm not coming back to this job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how it is in, in a lot of these stinky big box facilities is they have a whole wing to themselves. It's just one caregiver for a wing of 25 individuals. And that's not realistic to give great care. Even if you are the best caregiver in the world, you know how to multitask, you, you're running the whole time, you still will not give quality of care, uh, taking care of that many people to just one person. Yeah, that's true. So let me ask you about your interview process. You've done a lot of caregiver interviews. What what are you looking for and what is your actual process? So looking for, again, someone with an open availability, someone who can has good conversation skills, right? I think that's an important aspect to have. Someone with heart, someone uh, who you can perceive as being honest. I know it's kind of something that you can't really see in a couple interviews. Uh, so that's pretty much the what i'm looking for in somebody let me ask you about the communication that was surprising i didn't think you were going to say that why why would you say that because you need to have communication skills to not only communicate to the grandparents in the home but also communicate effectively to the family members and also the hospice and home health and nurses that come into the home and there's also you know visitors that come in uh, there's tours that are being done we've actually had a few of our caregivers give tours to individuals who come in after hours uh, when you know, when our managers aren't there, and they've been able to run a tour, so it's important to have uh, those communication skills because you never know what circumstance they're going to be in. Okay, so expand a little bit on how many interviews and what the timing's like, and when do you decide to hire someone? Yeah, so we post on the actual job on you know different aspects or different software programs online, uh, so you can choose whatever ones you want. But we do uh, usually three hour blocks of interviews. So after we post the job, we'll tell people to come in, you know, Friday from, you know, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And so we'll have individuals come in. They'll schedule like a usually 30 minute time with our managers. And our managers are fantastic. They're the ones who oversee all of this now. Um, I was the one running it in the very beginning. But now our managers have taken that on. Uh, and so, yeah, they they come in. And I think uh, the first, I'd say, 15 seconds of the interview, I think I already know if I'm going to hire this person or not. It's blatantly what obvious. It's how, how, first of all, how they dress when they come in. I've had many people come in in their pajamas, come in in slippers, come in in short skirts, uh, low-cut things. It's just not the culture that we want to cultivate at Platinum Resort. And so uh, if someone comes in in like a suit or looking nice, that's obviously like a first good tick for me. Uh, it's just the visual. You're, you're kind of judging someone in a visual way, which I think we all do, right? I think you should do as a business owner. Secondly, how they uh, how they engage with me the first time, right? Are they standing up and shaking my hand? Are they staying seated, not giving me eye contact? There's a bunch of nonverbals that you can pick up on that you know if this is a good fit for you or not. So I, I honestly know within 15 seconds if I'm going to hire them or not. 
So I guess if you're a caregiver listening to this, make sure that you come dressed appropriately, that you look the people in the eye, that you shake their hand firmly, and that you're you're asking them questions too. Because not only are are you know is platinum looking for amazing people, but you as a caregiver coming in for an interview also are looking to see if this is a good fit for you. Yeah, so it's course. a two way street. Okay. So is it just one interview? Is it multiple? So we do multiple interviews uh, because a lot of times we only have one manager on and I want both of my managers to interview because a lot of times you can ask the same questions, but you'll you'll tend to get a different answer with a different manager. So I want to make sure that the there's congruency with both of these interviews to make sure that they say the same thing to the same manager and to make sure that both my managers really like this individual and think that they'll be a good fit for our culture at Platinum. Okay. So if you have two people that you're interviewing and you like both of them, but one of them you like because on paper they have great experience. They've, you know, two or three years worth of, of caregiving experience. And the other person, no experience, maybe straight out of high school or they're just a, a you know, young mom, but they, they're connecting with you. There's personality. It seems like they're loving and, and have that, that role. Which do you prefer over the other? Personally, I prefer the one with no experience, the one who I connect with, the one who seems like they have a good heart and are in a person of integrity. I think that if you hire somebody from a big, a big box or some other place, facility, they bring all of their bad habits with them. And I think they carry that onto the job when they come work with us. Whereas if someone has not worked in the environment before or just in general in assisted living, I think they're more open to learning. And so I want someone who is open to learning, can take constructive criticism and um, just wants to do the job, right? I think there was one individual that we hired and she's fantastic. She no longer works with us because she you know, was pursuing a teaching career. But she had a, a little pad and a pencil and paper and she would take notes every shift about each grandparent, like what they like. So she had a page for, so number one was room number one and it, she would write like how she liked to get up, how she liked to get dressed, like her whole, uh, the routine that they liked. And then she also had questions at the bottom. So at the end of the shift, she would be like, okay, um, I, you know, I did this. I learned this about this person. They like this. They don't like this. But here I also had some questions about this. And literally it almost brought me to tears. I'm like, wow, you really care about your job because that is rare. And so looking for individuals like that, right? She had no experience. She had never worked in assisted living before, but she had the drive and she had the heart to learn more. So to answer your question, I would take the person who I connected with more who I felt like would fit our culture, I think is an important aspect is fitting the culture and it doesn't really matter about their experience for me personally. Okay. So that kind of leads me to the next question is if you're preferring to hire people with heart that have no experience, what is the onboarding and the training process like and how long does it take for them to be on their own on the floor? So this will vary from person to person. Uh, we have a three-day training process, so that's three shifts, so three eight-hour shifts, so a total of 24 hours of, of working. The first shift is, is a lot of the paperwork, right? A lot of learning, you know, the abuse and neglect and all the things that you have to learn based on your state regulations. So that's kind of, I don't want to say the boring day, but it's kind of the boring day, I think, for them. Uh, they usually shadow uh, the other caregivers on so I still usually have two caregivers on and then have that one person shadow for that first day just for them to see exactly how things work. 
Uh, their second eight-hour shift, uh, they are usually doing the work, but I have somebody else shadowing them. So um, I usually have a senior caregiver that will follow and just make sure they're doing how what we want them to be doing and how we want them to do it. And then the third shift, the third eight-hour shift, is usually them on their own, like completely on their own. I usually will have someone shadow a little bit in the background just to make sure they're, you know, they're saying the right things, they're, they're doing the right things in the appropriate way, but they're usually on their own on that. And then after those three shifts, we sit down with them and pretty much just like a debriefing on, hey, how is it going? How do you like it? Is there anything you wish you could learn more about? Do you think you need more training time? Because we can definitely provide that to them. It's not something that like, we're like, okay, perfect, three shifts, you're on your own. Like, if you're not comfortable and you think you need more time, then we're more than willing to do that. So how often do you have people that say they need more time? Rare, very rare. Yeah, I would say it's only a fraction of the time of like maybe five to 10%. Okay, Yeah. so pretty infrequent. Yeah. Do do these caregivers, do they do they think it's hard or complicated to learn these, these ADLs and go through this stuff? No, I don't think it's complicated. I think that there's certain techniques that you can uh, learn along the way. I think three days of training, you'll you'll get the basis, like your foundation poured, right? But then from there, I think is when you'll you'll get the you know the sticks up and you'll get your house built. Okay. It's it's uh yeah on on job on the job training is really what it is, right? You'll you'll learn once you actually start doing. Okay. So they've been onboarded training for three days. Now they're on the floor. They're running the shift themselves. How long do you think it takes if someone's working five shifts a week? to be like really proficient at this and be able to to know all of these kind of things. And then I guess second part of the question, how long until they get med delegated and become a med tech after that? So the answer to your first question is, I I think it depends on, on their teamwork and their communication because if you don't have that, it's a little bit harder to work with other people and get the job done in, in a way that's efficient. So if you have two people on, two caregivers on, that just really communicate well with each other. Doesn't mean they're friends, but they just communicate well. They work well with each other. I think that that is really what you want. So you want someone that is open to working with somebody else, team play, right? A lot of times you get people who don't want to work with anybody else, who just want to do it themselves. And I think that's where doing this task is a lot harder. So I would say I'm comfortable with someone being on the floor. I'd say six to eight weeks is when I feel like they've got the job down. You know, if they're if they're not calling in, I feel like I'm, you know, I can trust them. I know that they're gonna come and show up to their shifts with a good attitude, that there's no drama that's gonna be brought in. Uh yeah, it takes I'd say about six to eight weeks. As far as answer your second question with the med delegation, we usually like somebody to be on uh I say eight to twelve weeks before we med delegate them. And I think that's purposeful because we want them to know each of the grandparents before we just kind of throw on the, the medication with them. And we want to know that they're committed to working at Platinum and that they have a good head on their shoulders to be able to handle the tasks of passing out medications. Yeah. Okay. So um, to start to wrap this up here, is there any other things that you think is important that people should know about hiring caregivers and, and training them? So one little thing that I want to add is we have an interview template that we pretty much use every time we hire a new platinum angel. So we call them platinum angels. Saying caregiver is really hard for me because it's not a term we use in our home. Uh, so when we hire a new platinum angel, um, we have 
the standardized questions, right? And I think that I've changed this so many times throughout the years because I want to be very specific about the questions I ask because when you ask specific questions, you'll by the answer you get, you'll know if it's right for you or not, if this person is a good fit for your home. So I think the most important question that we ask, and this is going to be maybe surprising to people, is did you provide two weeks at the last position that you had? And if people say no, that honestly is almost like an automatic no for me. Like if you didn't have the respect enough to call your your last employer and give them a two-week notice and actually fulfill that two weeks, then I feel like you're going to come on board here and you're going to do the same thing. So not only do I ask if they gave two weeks, I also ask if they fulfilled those two weeks because you can put two weeks in and not actually show up. So that's an important question that I feel like is super important to ask. Um, I also want to get their person. I want another personality, right? And so another question that we ask for that is what are your pet peeves? And um, also what is your, give me an example of your perfect day off because then it tells me if they have a family, it tells me if they have kids, it tells me um, certain aspects about their personal life that I think is, is kind of important to know. And so those questions may be silly to people, but it actually tells me a lot about the person, um, especially pet peeves. Pet peeves is a very interesting question to ask people. Um, another question we ask is, you know, if we were to proceed hiring you, we would be doing a background check. Is that okay? And a lot of time, in most cases, people say yes, but there is a small percentage of people who, you know, who will uh, really tell the truth about their background um, on that question. And so, meaning like, which is a good they'd thing. They'd be like, hey, I had a hit and run. Or no, I exactly. Beat up my it, boyfriend or no, something. No, they will be honest. And I think that's great. But then it also kind of saves me time. Like, hey, that's probably not the individual that I, that I think is, is a good fit for our home. Um, I want my grandparents in the home to be safe and I want the other individuals in our home to be safe. And so creating that culture, I think, is also another really, really important aspect. I think it's hard to create that in the very, very beginning, right? Like you're, you just started and you're, you know, you're, you're kind of in the struggle bus of like getting the business started. But I think creating that culture that you want for your home is, is vital to attract certain individuals that are a perfect fit for your home. So I think we have a specific culture within Platinum that attracts certain individuals to us mm -hmm. and, and repels certain individuals to us, which is the whole point, right? We want people who are going to come, who are going to show up, who aren't going to call in all the time, who have a good attitude, who are loving, who are caring, who are loyal and honest, and people who aren't those things, we don't want them in our house. And so they, it kind of is the reputation around town that that is who we are and, and, and what we are. And people who don't want that, they don't come for the interview. People who do want that. That's interesting because you talk about kind of attracting and repelling. So if you get the wrong fit in there, I guess here's the question is, is how often do you have to fire somebody uh, now once we're stabilized and we have this reputation versus how often did you find the wrong people and you had to remove them um, when you're first getting started? So... Gosh, I just did not expect this when we first started on. I thought I was like the I could tell if someone had a true character or not just by the interview. Uh, but man, people are really good actors out there. And so there were quite a few people that we knew that didn't fit in our culture. And, you know, we had write ups. We had all the stuff that we were like, we have to get rid of them. They're just not a good part of our team. So we had to fire quite a few people in the very beginning. Um, it's almost like getting rid of that bad apple within your community because one person can really just 
demolish your entire thing that you've built, right? And so getting that one bad apple out of, of your home is vital. So in the beginning, it was a lot. I feel like now that we're stable, we don't really have to do that anymore because we've built that reputation and people know what we stand for. And, you know, if you have a bad attitude and you're calling it all the time, like we just don't stand for that and you can go look for a job elsewhere. So those people that are doing those kind of things, you will fire them? Correct. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's fantastic because ultimately this is about providing the best care for our grandmas and grandpas. And these caregivers, they are the front line of defense. They are mm -hmm. literally the hands and feet uh, providing this care. And if, if you have bad attitudes and people who don't want to be there, let's find somebody else. Exactly. Because there are a lot of people out there who, who really want the job and who can really do the job so well and provide so much love and care that you want to give them the opportunity to come in your home. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to share this with you, have Laura on to show and kind of unpack that this is not all that complicated. There are a huge pool of potential candidates for you to have caregivers for your business, and they don't have to be ultra qualified and years of experience. You literally are just looking for someone with heart. So I think the core of our success with caregivers is two things. Number one, finding the right caregiver who has dependability and has heart, and two, having systems. We train through all systems. We have eight different systems that we teach our caregivers and we bring them through this in a system over these three days. We've trained our managers to do those things and they now do it for us. So it puts Laura and I in a position where we can be working on the business and not in the business. So I wanna encourage you, if you are new to this niche, it is not that scary with the caregivers. You just need to find these simple things, people with heart and a great system of training and then remove the bad apples. So this has been a life-changing business opportunity for Laura and I to make incredible money and to pull our time back and spend time with our kids. So I wanna encourage you to do a bigger deal. Do a luxury 16-bed memory care mansion. It's been amazing for us. So I will see you on the next one.